Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dialogue. Uh, I am uh, Reverend Jeff Chapman. And I'm the Reverend Kevin Flynn. And together we are talking about Richard Hooker and his laws of ecclesiastical polity. Uh-huh. And we finished up the preface. We're actually starting in with book one. And uh, we're going to start with book one, chapter one. And uh, it seems like with this first chapter, it's short enough and there's enough crunchy bits that I think we can kind of read, or read through it. And then if there's time, um, we'll begin, we'll, we'll, we'll cover some of chapter two. I think that's the plan. Sounds good. Right? Yep. Good. Okay. And we'll notice that chapter one, he, he says the reason for writing the general discourse. So in case you weren't paying attention to the preface, <laughs> in which he also outlined that at some length. Uh, he's really honing in on the argument now. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Okay. So, chapter one, the reason for writing the, the general discourse. Whoever wants to persuade the multitude that they are not as well-governed as they should be will never lack a sympathetic audience, since everyone can recognize the obvious problems in any kind of government. But they rarely have as much insight into the innumerable hidden obstacles which inevitably hinder the business of governing. Thus, those who bewail the current state of affairs are esteemed to be the champions of the people and men of independent thought. And under this guise, whatever they say is accepted without question. Whatever their speech lacks in substance is supplied by people's willingness to believe it. On the other hand, those of us who would defend the status quo are quickly judged as mere time servers or bootlickers of the establishment, and people will stop up their ears against our arguments before they even hear them. Hmm. <laughs> Did he write this That's yesterday? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's really it's just really great. I mean, this whole bit at the beginning there, this first sentence, I just really like that. That whoever wants to persuade the multitude that they are not as well governed as they should be will never lack a sympathetic right. audience, since everyone can recognize the obvious problems in any kind of government. Yeah. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Yeah. yeah. So this is yeah, both civil what we would call civil authority as well as ecclesiastical. Yeah. Of course, it's easy to find the faults. However, yeah. However, it's hard to construct a thoughtful, a thoughtful new way. And on yeah. top of that, anybody that wants to defend the status quo are almost set up to fail. Yeah, I, I like too that he's, you know whatever their speech lacks in substance is supplied by people's willingness to believe it. Uh, there, there's something yeah. of the the uh, master psychologist I think in Hooker over and over again that he, uh, you know, he's not only dealing with ideas and the extent to which they're credible or not, but he looks at the motivation and susceptibility to being swayed by emotion and and all the other things that. Uh, that make up actual human deliberation. That we're, you know, much as he would uh, like us to, you know, apply our rational minds to things, he knows that we're not just rational minds. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Huh. Clearly, though, he, he's he is a little on the. Um, what would we say the? Well, he, I suppose he is on the sort of the status quo side. Um, a bit mm -hmm. of a lament here that we're judged, those who defend the status quo are, are judged as mere time servers or bootlickers of the establishment. 
Okay, let's 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 go on. Let's go on with the second sure. section. It's a bit longer, but it's uh, there's lots of good stuff in there. So, therefore, much of what we are about to say may seem tedious, obscure, dark, and intricate. Many feel themselves at liberty to talk about the truth, even though they have never plumbed the depths from which it springs. And when they are led there, they quickly get tired because they are being taken off the beaten paths they have trod so often. However, this must not stop the argument from going where the subject demands that it go whether or not everyone likes it. Anyone for whom this argument is too complex can save themselves the trouble and stop reading now. <laughs> if anyone thinks it too obscure, they should remember that often in both works of art and in works of nature, the most important things are not necessarily the things immediately visible to our eyes. We may admire houses for their stateliness, trees for their beauty, but the foundations which bear up the one and the roots which nourish the other both lie hidden under the earth. When we need to uncover them, it is not necessarily pleasant, either for those who do it or for those who watch it happening. In just the same way, all who live under good laws may enjoy them and benefit from them with delight and comfort, even if most do not know the grounds or reasons for their goodness. However, when people cease to obey the laws, claiming that they are corrupt and wicked, it becomes necessary to uncover their foundations and roots. Since we are not very accustomed to this, whenever we sit down and do it, it is going to be more needful than enjoyable. And the matters we discuss, because they are so new, will seem dark, complicated, and unfamiliar at first. It is for this reason that throughout this work I have tried to make every premise support what follows after it, and to make every conclusion shed further light on what came before. So, if men suspend their judgments while we go through these first more general arguments until it is clear where they lead, what might seem to be dark at first will turn out to be quite apparent, just as the later specific determinations will seem much stronger on the basis of what came before. Yes, so good. So, so good. So, another, <laughs> I do like, you know, any for whom this argument is too complex can save themselves the trouble and stop reading now. In other words... If you can't stand the heat, get out of the theological kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I mean, think about like literally where this is so applicable, this, this image of the, you know, we admire houses mm -hmm. and trees for their beauty, their stateliness. But, you know, if you really care about houses, if you really care about trees, you need to know about their foundations. Yes. I mean, I remember that was the big thing when we, when we first, uh, my wife Sarah and I, when we first started looking for a new house, the first thing that the real estate agent did with the very first house was take us down to the basement yeah. and sh not just show us the foundation, but kind of explain if you really want to buy a house, you need to care about the, the foundation, how the foundation is made, what building material they use, the time that, you know, the era that it was built yes. in. Because, for example, concrete improved after the Second World War. So a, a 1930s concrete foundation is not the same as a 1950s concrete foundation. And we found it boring and we, all these things We're like, this is like, we're looking at this beautiful house and she's taken us down into the, into the basement. And sure enough, you know, we found this beautiful, beautiful home and she took us down and she said, look, this is a beautiful home built. It's over a hundred years old. And the foundation is, is stone, but the stone foundation is terrible and you cannot buy this house. Oh uh, yeah. You know, and it's, but I just find like, it doesn't matter what it is. You, 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 you have a passion for something, but until you until you get to know, you know, uh, when you really develop a passion for something, you start to care about the foundation. You start to care about the roots. And, and that's really, 
you know, that's where the truth is. That's right. And as you say, you know, learning about foundations or, you know, different kinds of concrete or whatever, maybe rather tedious sort of work. Uh, So as he says, it's not necessarily pleasant to start looking into the foundations, but, um, you know, it has to be done. If, um, you know, if you, uh, if you just start buying houses on the basis of their gaudy decoration, <laughs> you're, you're right. going to run into trouble. Yeah, or the staging, whatever it is. And it's the same thing. I think it's just, I just love how he, he, he sets this up. He's like, you're not going to enjoy reading this, but if you really care about, you know, the, the, the government of the church, if you care about all these issues as much as you say you do, then you, you know, I need you to, to, to give me the benefit of the doubt, suspend your judgment, yes. allow yourself to go through these possibly pedantic arguments and uh, we're going to get somewhere substantial. We're going we're gonna to deal with some real stuff that matters. And we have, uh, remain, we'll all keep an open mind, but he's promising that, you know, he's going to take us in a progress, you know, in a logical progression so that um, each principle that he establishes will be the basis for what follows. And uh, so he's going to take us carefully through a series of arguments even if it, and he says, you know, stick with me because it might not seem clear at first where we're going, but um, it's going to be worth the, uh, worth the effort. Yes. So take us onwards, Richard. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Okay, let's do it. I, our listeners might be listening to Nico the cat who oh. likes to announce his presence every time <laughs> he joins me uh, in the study. Okay, All right. uh, here we go. The laws of the church, which have guided us for so many years in the exercise of the Christian religion and the service of the true God, as well as in our rights, customs, and orders of church government, all these things are being called into question. We are accused of refusing to have Jesus Christ rule over us and of willfully casting his statutes behind our backs and hating to be reformed and made subject to the scepter of his discipline. Behold, For this reason, we offer the laws that govern our lives to the trial and judgment of the whole world. We heartily beseech Almighty God, whom we desire to serve according to his own will, that laying aside all partiality, both we and others will have eyes to see and hearts to embrace what is most acceptable in his sight. Since we are arguing about the quality of our laws, we cannot make a better beginning than by asking about the nature of law itself, and in particular, about that law from which all good laws flow, the law by which God eternally works. Moving on from this law to the law of nature and then to the law of scripture, we will have a much easier time once we come to the particular controversies and questions that we have in hand. Hmm. Okay. All right, we got the time. Here we go. All right. Any other other thoughts on, on that? Well, I guess just to kind of reiterate that, um, you know, why all this uh, issue over church governance and so forth, and, and uh, as we've seen, you know, the Puritan position is that the Bible has specifically laid down the rules for running churches. So, um, you know, there's really no way of uh, allowing for dispute or local variation. And you mm-hmm. can't have... Um, the state or the monarch uh, deciding how the church is to be run unless you can specifically uh, have it subjected to the Bible. So, you know, the best thing would be 
this may be a bit of an overstatement, but you know, it would be a kind of um, Sharia or something. That if you could only just mm-hmm. it, it put the entire of the Old Testament law uh, as the law of the state, um, well, that's what Hooker wants to to challenge. So the, the way he goes about it is to say, well, you know, we actually have to look at the nature of law and what that implies for our understanding of church and Bible. Yeah, and, and I think something to he'll clarify it a bit, but just to what I what I think it's also helpful is when 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 I think about law, like sort of the way we use the word law, you know, mm-hmm. today, we we generally are thinking about the rules of a state, yes. uh, primarily, I guess, Some of them. or maybe the laws of the church. Yeah. When he's talking about laws, he, he he'll use the law of nature as an example. It's it's more um, sort of the structure the ends of something yes. that that for him there's a sense of law representing order um the way things are things yeah, that have a beginning and the an way end. things are ordered yeah, yeah it's not uh, yeah i mean he obviously admits that um certain statutes that the state might enact are variable but he's talking he you know he'll get to that kind of thing but what he's really talking about in the first place is how how does the whole universe run uh, mm-hmm. or the most uh, what's the most basic or primitive or fundamental sense of law as far as uh, from a theological perspective yes well I mean and I'm just thinking about the title now like like a re- sort of you can lean and correct me if I'm wrong but like the, the title that's a real mouthful the laws of ecclesiastical polity yeah. I mean really Ecclesiastical, that's a, that's a $10 word to really just, ecclesia, the church. Yes. Um, it's really, if you study ecclesiology, you're, you're really just studying all of the, the rules and ways that the church is built and governed. How we understand um, polity, ourselves, who we are, why, why we are. Yeah, the right. And then, and then polity is, is uh, you know, politics, the people, the people of the church, and the laws, he really just means the order, the ways that things run. I mean, you could argue that the, that title, the laws of ecclesiastical polity, is really just all of the rules and ways that the people of the church um, are governed and are ordered, you know, the the politics of the church. Um, you know, it's it's really just, he's really just addressing the, the rules and regulations and, you know, the order of the, the, the people that make up the church. I, I think that that could be a way that we can understand the title. Yes, although yeah, absolutely. Um, but he's going to he. We're not even there yet, right? Because he's he's still going to talk about, <laughs> if you like, the laws of nature. These are not things that are yeah. enacted by human beings, you know, through some kind of statutory pro- process. But how right. how in fact do material create things exist together? Um, okay. And then, you know, we go from there. When we say, well, how does how do the laws of uh, of a state or a church determine how how beings who have free choice exist together? Um, huh. Okay, let's let's let's. Well, okay, well, that's okay. Thank you. That's let's go. Yes. Let's, we're going to do chapter two. So, we're, and even before the laws of nature, we're getting into the laws of God, uh, God's self. Right. So. Um, Oops, yes. Um, chapter 2. The law by which God has from the beginning determined to do all things. All things that exist work in a way that is neither unnatural nor random. 
nor do they ever work without a preconceived end or goal. And the end which they work for is not achieved unless the work is also fit to achieve it by, for different ends require different modes of working. Therefore, we define a law as that which determines what kind of work each thing should do, how its power should be restrained, and what form its work should take. No end could ever be reached unless the means by which it was reached were regular. That is to say, unless the means were suitable, fitting, and appropriate to their end according to a principle, rule, or law. This is true in the first place, even of the workings of God himself. Okay. Okay. So a law is that which determines what kind of work each thing should do. So uh, we're, we're clearly not in the realm of some kind of legislative process here, right? This is... Um, no, this feels more like the laws of physics, the law, you know, the laws of nature. Mm -hmm. And even God, in God's own self, uh, God, um, by, by creating, God creates a world of limits, right? That's what creation is. It's, it's uh, finite. It's not infinite like God. So how do... Um, how does each um, created thing um, exist? What what's the, what are the limits? Uh, these things these are not just random. This is intended by God. I I have to be honest. You know, I miss. I, I wish that um, like the way that he sees the church and the way that he sees the world. Right. It, he reminds me like those. You know, those, what was that movie? Anytime that Hollywood does a movie with a mathematician, <laughs> you know, where they, you know, they see the world as this sort of collection of numbers and data, like you can tell that like this is truly how he sees the world. Like, he, you know, he's describing a world where really, you know, our world is essentially comprised of creatures, things that God has created. And the nature of creation itself is that everything that is intelligible and exists has a certain function, has a certain purpose and a beginning and an end. And it all fall. Everything follows a certain um, end. With yes. all things that exist, this is the very first line he says. All things that exist work in a way that is neither unnatural nor random. And I, I honestly, like you know, the church, the modern church, is really a is an organization that that attracts a certain type of person that wants to care for others, that wants to perhaps is attracted to music or liturgy. I would argue that the church, the modern church today, attracts people who are drawn to the abstract hmm. and and drawn to something spiritual, yes. you know, the sacred, the holy. Um, but we need Richard Hookers <laughs> in our church, right? That 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 actually sees the law, the church as a as a as a collection of of uh, um, a way of responding to the law of God. It might give it might know. give some comfort to uh, those folks who. Uh among whom we probably count ourselves, who, who, who are uh, attracted by such apparent abstractions as you know, beauty or spirituality or whatever, by saying, um, you know, you're going to see the hand of God in everything because everything, all these, yeah. all the created order functions according to the limits, the purposes, the designs of God. Nothing is outside of the ambit of, no. of God's work. 
And that is, I mean, and even things that are beautiful, like if you talk to, if you love the beauty of music, sit down with a composer. Yeah. And they're going to describe to you the laws and rules of, of music and certain chords that do and don't go together, certain, you know, the rules around key signatures, yeah. when you can break a rule and how you would do it and how you wouldn't do it. Right. I guess you know, this, this I mean, universe of hookers is not dodecatonal or something like that, right? It's... <laughs> no. That's, there's a, har- there's, there's there's a harmonious a... euphony here. Yes, there is. That's like great. Oh, wow. Oh, there's some great words. Well, that, there. That's, okay. I, 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 that, I have to correct. That's Bach. Decatonal. No, <laughs> right. It's that 12 tone system, right? Or that, indeed. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yes. But I was thinking about harmonious euphony. That's, that's Bach, right? Music is a harmonious ah. euphony to the glory of God. Uh, but but I think that's, but that's what he, uh, that might have been a random thought, but it's actually related to what uh, Hooker is going to argue that these things are created for the glory of God. Um, So let's Mm. go on as he seeks to prove this. All things work in their own way according to a law. Nearly everything works according to a law subject to some superior who has authored it. Only the works and operations of God have him as both their worker and as their law. The very being of God is a sort of law to his working for the perfection that God is gives perfection to what God does. The natural, necessary, and internal operations of God, the begetting of the Son and the proceeding of the Spirit, are far beyond the scope of this book. For our purposes, we need only note those operations that begin and continue by the voluntary choice of God, who has eternally decreed when and how they should be, and that this eternal decree is what we call an eternal law. Okay. Do you mind pausing yeah, here? Just he's pause, going to go yeah. on, but so interesting. I mean, it's so ah, it's, it's so good because it, it, you know, so many of us, you know, if you were to say, you know, who is God? You know, oh, God is God is love. Mm-hmm. God is love. God is um, God is one who creates. You know, there's a lot of different ways that we would describe God, but for Richard Hooker, there, there, you know, I don't think any, I don't think I disagree with what he's saying. It's just so interesting that this is his description of God as an eternal law. Um, the, the very being of God is a sort of law, right? God is predictable. Yes. God is um, constant, um, ordered. Um, yeah, I, quite. Yeah, that, this is, and in other words, the, you know, because the, um, the perfection that God is gives perfection to what God does. Like, this is not just some ar- arbitrary cosmic despot who just no. decides will or nilly, you know, this do this, do that, whatever. Um, no, the um, God, is the very being of God is a sort of law to his working. Um, God is bound to be what God is, I suppose, might say. Which is, um, which is beautiful. Like that, that means, you know, God is you're right that it's uh, that when we think of total power, mm-hmm. um, often connected with that is a yeah. certain arbitrariness. Yeah. Like yeah. if you think of a king, especially in the Middle Ages, where they have all of this power and then they wield it mm-hmm. sort of at a whim, mm-hmm. whereas God has almost made a promise to say, yes. I, "I will be this. I have I have told you who I am, and I will always be thus." Yes. Um, and there's something um, very generous about that. It's just, you know it's a very particular kind of authority. Yes. 
Yeah, and, and, and there are, not every Christian in history has, has uh, taken that route. Some just so emphasize the will of God as to, to leave it, to leave God as this kind of arbitrary autocrat. Uh, now, so he, he, you know, we can be thankful perhaps that uh, Hooker is not going to talk about the, uh, as he calls it, the internal operations of God. He's not going to talk about God in, an, in God's own life. He's not going uh, deep into the thickets of Trinitarian theology, for which <laughs> those of us whom he might describe as a feeble mind uh, may be great. Here we go. Let's do it. Let's so do it. It, it is dangerous for the feeble mind of man to wade too far into the doings of the Most High. Although it is life to know him and joy to mention his name, our surest knowledge is that we do not know him as he truly is, nor can we. Our safest eloquence is our silence, confessing without confession that his glory is inexplicable and his greatness above our capacity and reach. He is above and we are on earth. Therefore, let our words be wary and few. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Now that's powerful. It is powerful. Our safest eloquence is our silence, confessing without confession that his glory is inexplicable and his greatness above our capacity and reach. Well, of course. And that's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, and that's not a. It's not a. Um, it's not a cop out. No. <laughs> you know, it's it's. Um, I always find that the smartest theologians that I, I listen to or read are, are deeply, deeply reluctant to describe God and describe the sacred in words or images. Therefore, let our words be wary and few. Indeed, I, I often think of yeah. uh, in uh, E.M. Forrester's uh, book, Passage to India, uh, I can't remember, the, the rather um, conventional English woman who has a an experience of the divine in, in some caves later talks about poor little talkative Christianity. <laughs> and, which, hmm. Yes, uh, sometimes we wrap it on and on about who God is, uh, which, you know, Hooker yeah. is, is yeah. not, it doesn't shy away altogether. As I said, you know, we have to go to the root of things. But this is the necessary caution here that, um, in fact, si our best, our safest eloquence is our silence. It's like, I think it's, um, um, oh, I can't now think who said it, um, but uh, the line is that the language of God is silence, the rest is bad translation. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but I mean, I, but I love this, but there's, but there's this piece that I think that I, because I'm someone that loves to be creative and I, I'm, I, I'm somebody that loves to sort of you know, see God in, in beauty and nature and, you know, like the, um, you know, when you think about the beginning of Genesis, right, where God is creating all the creatures of the world and there's this sort of abundance mm -hmm. to the love of God. Yes. But there is this, but that can't be the extent of our understanding of God because that, that, can, that can become chaos, that can become constant change and, and that can be stressful and unpredictable and especially in the hands of clergy, like me as a priest, if that's my only understanding of God, then I'm going to constantly be doing all sorts of random new things, and that can be um, that can be a kind of tyranny. I heard someone described. I think, oh, was it Alan Jones said, "The liturgy protects me from your creativity." <laughs> yeah, very good. Right. Yeah. 
And, and there, that, that, this is the other side of it. It's like, yes, but God is, God is predictable. We, intu- we intuitively know the order of God in some way, just the way that nature has this certain pattern. Yes. Right? The laws of mathematics, the laws of physics. There's also a familiarity to the order of God. Uh, God isn't capricious. God isn't random. And so, yes, you can, ex- you can express the nature of God in a new way, but, it, but I think if you're onto something, it will be familiar and it will be a return home, right? Mm-hmm. There's, something, there's something eternal about these truths, even if, you know, you, you, meet it, you see a new bird and no one's ever seen that bird before, and yet it'll be a bird, you know, yes. and have certain attributes that all birds have. Yes. You know, um, I think that that's an important corrective especially in a time where we're, oh, we're, you know, we're living in a new revolutionary time. There are so many different ways we can go, yes, but there will be an, a, a, we will be tapping into eternity perhaps in a new way, but, you know, but there is a sense, you know, we will be returning to some very, very old things if we're on the right track. Indeed, and uh, maybe uh, here we might uh, assume a certain modesty about our statements about God since... God's glory is inexplicable and his greatness above our capacity and reach. That's yeah. great. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah. I, I see the phrase hypostatic trinity oh, and I wonderful. must know how it fits. Our God is one, <laughs> or rather he is oneness itself, a unity which has nothing in itself but itself, not consisting of many things as everything else does. In this essential unity of God, a hypostatic trinity subsists in a way that far exceeds the imagination of men. The external operations of God in time and history are such that even though he is one, each hypostasis does something particular and appropriate. For since they are three and subsist in the essence of one deity, it can truly be said that all things are from the Father, by the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. What the Son hears from the Father and what the Spirit receives from the Father and the Son, we come to receive at the hands of the Spirit. John 16, 13-15. And therefore, he is the last and nearest to us in order, although in power he is equal to the second and first. Well, huh. just when we thought he wasn't going to do a deep dive into the Trinity, he does. But <laughs> yeah, huh? That's cool, though. Do you want to keep going? Sure. Okay. So this is to pick up on your perception of God in creation, because uh, he says, even wise and learned pagans acknowledge that there must be some first cause upon which the existence of everything else depends. Nor do they call this cause anything other than an agent, that is, something that knows what it does and why it does it, and does so according to a certain order or law. Homer, for instance, says that Zeus accomplished his counsel And Hermes Trismegistus admits the same when he says that the Demiurge made all the world not by hands, but by reason. The same is confessed by Anaxagoras and Plato, who who call the maker of the whole world a rational worker. And the Stoics, although they thought that the first cause was fire, also affirmed that the fire, having art, followed a certain course in the making of the world. All these admit that this first cause took counsel or followed reason or observed a certain course. In other words, constant order and law is kept, which order must be its own author. If this were not the case, then it would have to be directed by some worthier or higher cause, 
and would by definition not be a first cause. Since it is the first, it alone can be the author of that law according to which it freely acts. God, therefore, is a law both to himself and to everything else. To himself, he is a law in all those things which our Savior speaks of, saying, My Father worketh even until now, and I work. John 5.17 God works nothing without cause. He does all things with some end in mind, and the end for which each are done is the reason he acts. He would never have created woman unless he saw that it would not be good unless she were created. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Genesis 2.18 God only does those things which to leave undone would not be good. One might ask why, even though God has infinite power, the effects of that power are limited as we see they are. This is because he works toward a certain end and by a certain law which constrains the effects of his power so that it does not work infinitely, but only as much as necessary to reach that end. All things well, wisdom 8.1. All in a decent and comely manner, all by measure and number and weight, wisdom 11.20. I like how he just sort of throws in at the end there the... Um you know, explanation for the existence of evil, <laughs> oh. right? Like what, you know, how, how come, how come, you know, the, the limits of why are there limits to God's, uh, to power? How, how, how come, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's yeah because he's willing to create, well, that there are limits to God's power insofar as God is willing to create, right? It makes a world of limits. Yes. That's, that's, a kind of, cool. that's a gracious restraint, so to speak. Uh-huh. As well, and then, you know, I mean, Hooker's not um, original in this. I mean, he's pointing out that what other Christians have observed as well, that, you know, pagans too have been able to perceive, though they may call it by different names, that there's order in the, in the world. I really like the... I just, I just really like his perspective that, 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 that sort of the generosity of this, that he can go, he's going all the way back to these stoic thinkers, yes. to Plato and some of these Greek writers and philosophers that I feel very few people these days read, yes. such as Hermes Trismegistus. No. Have you read Hermes <laughs> Trismegistus, Kevin? No. <laughs> That's, Nor have I read uh, Anaxagoras, if that's how you pronounce it. Oh, indeed. Nor have I. Perhaps one of our listeners has read Anaxagoras. Maybe. Please let us know about him in the comments below. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's... And he goes on... I mean, I, I don't know how much... It's, it's difficult at this point to know um, if we're losing any listeners as we journey through this, but I... I uh, he goes on at length about, about this, but I, I, I'm, I'm finding myself, I find as we get going each week, I find myself sort of drawn into his, to his rhetorical style. And I, I genuinely, I want you to continue going. So I think, I, I hope I speak for our listeners. I, I, I just kind of want to continue as he, as he crafts this, this argument. I might just, you know, just one small observation here. And this would be uh, yeah. something that you know, people who have studied his use of scripture might, um, be able to say something intelligent about it. But I'm just interested that at, at the end of this little portion, he quotes from the Wisdom of Solomon, which is one of those 
deuterocanonical or apocryphal books, for instance, right? Um, mm -hmm. It's not considered sort of first order canon, but as the 39 articles, uh, 39 articles say, you know, you don't make it for establishing doctrine, but it's it's useful, and, and, and these things are read. And um, I don't know if you've ever read Wisdom of Solomon, but there are some mm -hmm. rather boring bits. However, in especially sort of chapters 7 through 11, it's quite, it's often, it's actually often quite beautiful, I find. Um, and um, th it seems like the, 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 the reason he might be drawing on it here is that having talked about all these um, pagan philosophers looking to um, uh, the ordering of the natural world as, as reason for saying that there's some agent behind it all, uh, it's interesting then that he he turns to a book that in which the Jews are working in a similar kind of fashion, looking at the at the natural world and perceiving wisdom as the ordering principle. Um, yes. Well, listen. To this this is verse um, seven twenty two in uh, chapter seven verse twenty two in the Wisdom of Solomon. For wisdom, the fashioner of all things, taught me. Yeah. For in her, in wisdom. There is a spirit that is intelligent, holy, unique, manifold, subtle, mobile, clear, unpolluted, distinct, invulnerable, loving the good, keen. It goes on and on. Irresistible, uh, benef beneficent, humane. It goes on and on and on. Um, yeah, there's... Penetrating through all spirits that are intelligent and pure and most subtle. Yeah, right. I can see more why he than is attracted to that. She has a breath of the power of God. I'm just quoting it. I can't remember. I, it's somewhere in that yeah. same section. And, um, yeah, that's the next verse. That's the next verse. Rightly ordering all things, you know. It, it, but the, um, huh. it's, I mean, this is good natural theology here. God works to a certain end. These are not just, this is not a random universe. Uh -huh. Well, and, 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 and of course, that's, that becomes this sort of big dialogue and debate but, you know, that happens throughout this, this, this uh, Reformation period, right? Is if you're going to re be reliant on Scripture as the thing, like if Scripture is the gateway to all things sacred and all things holy, then presumably there's a massive deficit to all other forms of learning, right? You have to know Scripture, otherwise you can't know God. And so, I mean, he, that's part of, like, just the, the whole argument that he's making is a counter-argument to a strict yes. scripture. Yes, scripture-only kind of thing. Uh, yeah. yeah, sola, script, sola scriptura. Right. You know, that's, he's, he's pushing against that with this kind of teaching. Sure, sola scriptura is just is there to say, you know, you don't, at its best, I mean, he, he, I don't think he's not saying his opponents have, have got this right. You know, sola scriptura is just to say you don't add on uh, other things not provable by, by scripture as being necessary for people's salvation. That's to guarantee, you know, this kind of reformation jewel that, um, you know, it's justification by mm -hmm. faith is what's what's needed. But his opponents, I think, are saying, you know, only script only scripture has the laws by which we can discern how things are made. And he's like, well, you're forgetting this entire first ordering, uh, 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 sort of first order of law altogether, um, which is. Which is contained in scripture, no which, less. Which, as it happens, <laughs> yes, as it happens. <laughs> which, you know, perhaps that's one of the reasons why he's quoting from the Wisdom of Solomon to sort of add weight to his uh, yeah. argument. Yeah, indeed. 
So here's the here's the, I mean this is this is the, this is to me one of the great parts coming up here in, in, in section four here. The general end for which God works all things in time is the exercise of his most glorious and abundant excellence. This abundant excellence shows itself in variety, which is why scripture so often speaks of God's riches. Compare Ephesians mm-hmm. 1 7, Philippians 4 19, Colossians 2 3. The Lord has made everything for himself, Proverbs 16 4. Not because they can add anything to him, but so that in all things he might show his beneficence and grace. We might not be able to tell the exact reason for every one of God's actions, and therefore we cannot always give a full account of his works. Nonetheless, every finite work of God has some reason or purpose behind it, since some law has been imposed on it. If there were no law, the work would have to be infinite, just as the worker himself is. Mm. So... That general end for which God works all things in time is the exercise of his most glorious and abundant excellence, which shows itself in variety. Now that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty So you paraphrase before we started recording, you paraf- how did you paraphrase that to me? Like what's the purpose of it all? Yeah, like the the, the, the end the purpose of what why God does what God does. Is to show the abundance of glory. Um, yeah. to create as many possible reflections of his own being. So the variety, the, 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 the plurality of reflections, um, of course they have to have limits. It's like you know, facets on a gem. The, you know, one facet does not a gem make, right? You, you, right. You've got to have a, a whole um, series of them to show, um, you know, as much possible glory of the of the original gen, uh, you know stone as possible. Um, so now God alone is infinite, but within the world, the world that God's created is created in such a way that it could give the maximum possible testimony to just how glorious God is. Um, well, that's a, and that's a wonderful image. Like I'm thinking of the, the you know putting a prism up in a, in a window where the sun's mm-hmm. coming in, and there's this sort of infinite you know, amount of color and it just fills the whole room with all sorts of little miniature rainbows. Um, but it's also following, they're also, you know, it's, it's, it's following a series of laws, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like laws of physics. And it's, it's all coming from one source. Because, you know, yeah. if, if this happens, then that can't, there are limits, but yes, you know, that prism nevertheless within its limits shows off this magnificence. Um, so, uh, you know, law is one way of talking about, okay, you know, the universe is unfolding in a, you know, in time and space, it's unfolding in a particular way. Um, some things happen, which, um, rather than others, and that means things are going to go forward in such a way, but the, the purpose of it all is to show the abundance of God's glory. Hmm. It's great. I think that's great. So, yeah. Um, going on, we're moving on. Therefore, those who think that God acts without any other cause than his bare will are greatly mistaken. Again, we will not always know the reason, but it is most unreasonable to imagine there is no reason, since he works all things not only according to his own will, but after the counsel of his will. Ephesians 1.11 Whatever is done with counsel or wise forethought must have some reason behind it. 
even if the reason is in some cases so secret that it makes a man stand amazed, as the Apostle Paul did. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways, paths tracing out. Romans 11.33. That eternal law which God himself is to himself, and by which he works all things which have their origin in him. That law on which the countenance of wisdom shines and says, the Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old, Proverbs 8.22. That law, which is the pattern for the making of the world and the compass by which to guide it, that law which is of God and with him everlastingly. Again, I say, that law whose author and sustainer is the God who is blessed forever, how should either man or angel be ever able to perfectly behold? The book of this law we are neither able nor worthy to open and look into. The little which we barely glimpse we admire, the rest in devout ignorance we humbly and meekly adore. Sweet. Yeah. So again, um, a statement that God is not working arbitrarily. We might not know uh, everything. We, we clearly don't. Um, mm -hmm. but um, the eternal law which God himself is to himself that's the origin of all things yeah. that's great yeah you know you're, you're, it, the rest in devout ignorance we humbly and meekly adore um, it seems as though you know the more you know the, certainly the, the more you know the more awestruck and and um, inspired one might be but what we know we don't know is also a reason for uh, humbly humble and meek adoration but what's interesting too like his whole his whole way of understanding sort of the inscrutable sides of god is it's not that there's these clear sort of say the 10 commandments or sort of certain patterns of God that we clearly understand. And then the rest of it is just God doing whatever God yeah. wants. Like he's saying that, that even the parts of God that we cannot see are still bound to a certain order, yes. a certain law, right? You know, it's in the same way that science cannot, has, has not yet fully mapped out all the laws of the universe. And yet we know that the universe follows some sort of pattern. God is the same. Right, Indeed. and so it's even though you can't fully get it, it's not that God's just randomly going around doing stuff. God has this. There's always a, there's always a pattern. There's always some sort of law. There's some structure. God is following the rules that God has created, and will always be constant and eternal. And you know, and 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 rather than seeing that as something sort of like brutal and 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 overly strict, like a watch sort of constantly mm. ticking around a. Mm -hmm. You know, he's seeing and said, no, there's something beautiful about that constancy that we can't possibly imitate, yes. you know, no matter how hard we try. And he sees beauty in that, which I think is quite wonderful. Indeed. So that is the last yeah. little portion here, um, yeah. which is to underline what this kind of law is. Since he, God, works according to this law, and of him and through him and unto him are all things, Romans 11.36, Though confusion and disorder may appear to be in this world, since a good governor does regulate the universe, do not doubt that all things are rightly done. That's a quotation from Boethius. Um, 
He is so good that he does not violate his own law, a law than which nothing can be more absolute, perfect, or just. The law by which God works is eternal, and therefore it is utterly immutable. This is why, since part of that law has been revealed in God's promises to do good for mankind, the Apostle Paul declares that God is just as likely to deny himself and not be God as to fail to carry them out, 2 Timothy 2.13. He also says that the counsel of God is similarly a thing unchangeable, Hebrews 6.17. The counsel of God and the law of God which we now describe are one and the same. The freedom of God is in no way diminished by this, since God freely and voluntarily binds himself to this law. We may therefore call this the eternal law, since it is the order which God, before all ages, has set down with himself for himself to do all things by. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know. This, I'm really, I, this, this, uh, yeah, this chapter definitely caught me by surprise. I really um I'm surprised by how much I like this this way of viewing the sacred. Yeah. So we we've got a, a, a robust statement that you know natural reason does give us genuine insight into the whole into the truth of God. But we also need God to show us what sort of God he is. Um uh, which he's setting us up for, but um it's um, this is the before we can talk about any other kind of law we have to understand that who this God is and the kind of creation this God has enacted do you think that this way of understanding God would have been controversial uh Yes and no. I mean, in, in some ways, it, it's. Um, I, I think it's. He's he's pretty classic, um, but I think the um, I think there's um, might be controversy on the the limits to which uh, on this question of of um, kind of the will of God whether whether God is arbitrary or not. That that is the freedom of God is the if you if you. Um, privilege God's will, um, then presumably God can do whatever God wants in an arbitrary fashion. Yes. But, um, but, God, but he says God freely and voluntarily binds himself to this law, um, that, um, that God is not arbitrary. Uh, that's a debatable point. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I think if you were, if I was someone that was trying to like just to approach this directly from scripture. Yeah. I mean, like you can think about when, when Abraham, like we were just mm. going through this last Sunday where, when Abraham is um, negotiating with God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. And he's like, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to wipe them all out. And he's like, okay, well, but if there's 50 innocent people, 40, 30, 20. right. So there's, there's a few examples throughout. Well, there's a bunch, I think sure. of, of God having emotion, God reacting and, and, and prophets are sort of, engaging God like like lovers or like um, you know they're in relationship with God and there's this passion that's there that comes from a love for the, the people of Israel or um, I don't know that could be an argument 
the other the other thing I think is that someone that is a very strict Presbyterian is seeking to find harmony within Scripture. Another another argument is he he's talking about natural law that there's certain laws of the universe that Scripture points to, and he uses Scripture to point to that. But some other people might you know but. The, the, the Presbyterians that he's arguing, arguing with are trying to find harmony within Scripture itself, right? Where when it appears that Scripture contradicts itself, it doesn't. Right. Right? Um, I don't know how interested he is in trying to find harmony within Scripture so much as... Um, I think if he, if he saw a contradiction, if he saw a logical contradiction within Scripture, he'd say, well, there's a logical contradiction. Yeah, and you have to work it out. I don't... I mean, this is the, you got to work it out. I don't think he's trying to like... I don't think... I think he'd rather try to find out what the truth is than trying to mess with the truth to make sure that Scripture works together. Right, because th- this is the, the issue is that, uh, you know, his opponents say everything is determined by the Scripture. But in, you know... But in fact, you know, you can find cases where it's not clear. And then you have to, you do, in fact, have to make something up. But if you're honest, you're saying, you know, we're using our reason and our prudence, judgment and so forth to figure out these things. Whereas his opponents are just kind of masking what they're in fact doing by just saying, no, it's, this is this plain reading of the scripture. Mm-hmm. Plus, and I don't know if he would go there, but like in the in the first in section two, where he talks about you know the Holy Spirit, and he says that the the Holy Spirit is the Spirit is nearest to us. Um, you know, I mean, one of the arguments that that Christians have made throughout Christian history is the Holy Spirit continues to act and move and do new things. Um, so that even something that you might find in Scripture, it it was the the, the will of the Spirit to do that thing back in that time and then in that place. But now the spirit is working through the decisions that we're making. Perhaps a council of the church has, has met and we've decided together through the Holy Spirit to move in a new direction, given the, the current world that we are living in. Yeah. Um, um, he's saying, you know, God isn't glorified. If we assume that we can only please God by doing exactly what the scripture specifies and no more. Um, yeah. It's a conf- you're confusing what kind of laws you're operating with here. Um, yeah, that's it. So the Bible can show us people who are, you know, contemplate um, the divine wisdom in nature without any reference to scripture, you know, play it when all these people. Um, but yeah. there, but um, God, well, in fact, God teaches by many means and, and the Bible revelation um, offers uh, a fuller account of what God's purposes entail, but his opponents are, con- are lumping them all together under one heading. Uh, they, these mm-hmm. kinds of laws under one heading. Because mm-hmm. it's only in, in the incarnation that we see what the, the full scope of human destiny is. You can't tease that out of looking at uh, the created order that's that's right. revelatory that's not just automatic hmm. so he's, he's, he's I, certainly uh, I mean he's certainly uh, classically Christian and he certainly affirms the authority of scripture it's just you've got to um, you do no you do no honor to the scripture by pretending that it tells you exactly what to do in every circumstance. 
Well, and that's where I, I'm curious to see him confront. I don't know if he's confronted yet um, a part where he, he, directly, he directly contradicts Scripture with something like reason. You know, because because that's usually his argument, right? Is, is 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 scripture provides a certain a certain template to deal with a certain amount of things, but it's limited in what yeah, it does. The, so when the, when 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 the limits of scripture you, are there, uh, we you we, have to right? use your brain. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a lot. I know we can't <laughs> we can't quite forgive yeah. God for that. I mean, it's uh, it would be nice if everything were just uh, you know. I mean, I, this is a serious point that it, you know. There's much in all of us that would. Perhaps it's a bit infantile, but we would love it if if there were no moral ambiguities, if things were always perfectly clear and we had a direct, we didn't really have to think through difficult cases. Uh, he says, mm-hmm. "You, in, in fact, that's the situation in which we find ourselves. Um, you have to, uh, you have to think things through." I like it. I like it. All right, and, we, and that's the oh, end wow. of so the, to, the second chapter. Grown-ups. Oh well, can't, can't <laughs> quite forgive God for that, but uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So next next time he'll take us on into other kinds of law. So stay tuned. Yeah, I yeah, it's natural, which I love. This next this next chapter, I, I'm really looking forward to it because I really, uh, I really, it's one of the. I think this this is this first section where I was completely. I just sort of started to fall in love with this stuff. Was these not only these arguments, but just the way that he approaches um, the world. Um, th- I just thank you, Kevin. I just, I just find it like I hope everybody else. I don't know how this this is coming <laughs> across, but to me, I just get I just get sucked into these. You know, I, when I start off, I'm thinking, well, there's no way we're going to actually be able to get to this entire chapter and uh, and maintain a listening audience. But I don't if know. For nothing it's else, just, whatever, like whatever people may think of what we have to say about it, it's just worth hearing him at times because there are some yes. things that are so beautifully phrased, so eloquently expressed, so and so wise. Yeah, 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 for sure, for All sure. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you for the thank thanks you, for the dialogue. Yep, indeed. Bye bye now. Bye.